All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff show. Your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome in. It's a March 30th edition of the Daily Faceoff show. Tyler Uramchuk and Chris Gear with you on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Chris, how's it going, man? It's going great. It's hump day. Less than a month to go in the season. Let's talk some hockey. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a sprint to the finish in a lot of regards. One thing that really isn't up for grabs is uh, the Colorado Avalanche winning their division and winning the conference as well. And that's where we start. So let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and start with one of the bigger games on the slate last night. And that is the Avs beating the Calgary Flames. They hit the 100 point mark in just their 67th game of the season. It's been an unreal regular season for the Avs, and it was a statement victory over the Calgary Flames as well. But, Chris, where I'm going with this is news we got before the game that Nathan McKinnon flying back to Denver with a hand injury, no real timeline or timetable set for his return. A lot of speculation about where he could have injured that hand as well, with some people thinking it may have been in his fight with Matt Dumba. And we have this pulled up here. As you can see, this is right after his tilt with Dumba the other day. Looks down at the hand once, keeps skating, looks down at the hand again. And there was even a shot of him in the penalty box saying, I'm fine. People wondering if McKinnon may have been hurt in that fight. If you're an Avs fan, Chris, you're probably a little concerned that once again, number 29 is out of the lineup with an injury. Yeah, it's very concerning. Obviously, McKinnon is crucial to the Avs playoff hopes and and their cup dreams. So if he's out for any length of time into the playoffs, that's, that's a crushing blow. And and you got to wonder why, you know, McKinnon felt like he needed to step in there and fight Dumba. I get it. You want to support your teammates, 
uh, Landisco gets gets hit, and he Orenton, and I guess gets hit, and he yeah. jumps in and, and fights Dumba. But you know, Curtis McDermott is there for a reason, and uh, he's the guy that really you have on the team to to protect your stars. So it was a bit unnecessary on McKinnon's part, and and he's got to know he can't put himself at risk like that down the stretch. So a bit um, a bit tough to do that, but you know. Uh, you said statement game for Colorado. Sometimes it's it's tough to to put that uh, label on a game when it's you know kind of late in the season and, and teams have their playoff spots locked up. But I'll tell you what, uh, Calgary just came off scoring nine goals against Edmonton. They've been looking great lately, and I think Colorado needed to to have a game like that to just just show everybody, hey, we're still we're still the the class of the Western Conference. And you're going to have to go through us. So, uh, pretty important game for them, and to do it without McKinnon, I think was uh, was pretty impressive. And the other impressive part of it, it was Darcy Kemper. I mean, the guy stopped 44 of 45 in the victory. And you know, we had heard throughout the yeah. year rumblings that Colorado was interested in Mark Andre Fleury. Maybe they didn't trust Kemper to be that guy for them in a playoff series. He showed to me last night that he's very capable of being that guy for the Avalanche. Yeah, I agree with you, Tyler. I thought when they made that move in the offseason to, uh, you know, let Grubauer go and and bring in Kemper, I, I thought that was a solid move because Kemper was a bit under the radar in Arizona and I thought a really strong goalie. He's had his struggles this year, but, you know, I, I think if he can have more performances like that, he is a guy that can take them uh, far in the playoffs. So good to see him performing like that. And uh, that's that's what the Avs will need. Another piece of news we got yesterday was out in Minnesota where the Wild and GM Bill Guerin locked up Alex Goligoski. It's a two-year, $2 million AAV extension for the defenseman, an offensive D-man who's still decent in his own end. Actually, when they were when he was signed to a one-year, $5 million deal, I looked at that and I was like, ooh, that's probably a little bit of an overpay in terms of the AAV for Goligoski. I look at him now signing at two years, $2 million, and I kind of go, that's probably a nice value deal now for the Minnesota Wild. What do you think of the extension for Goligoski? Well, the, the timing of it is a little bit odd because he's just been scratched for two games in a row ever since they acquired Middleton. Um, so usually when you start scratching a player, it's not the time to give him an extension. But, uh, you know, obviously the Wild uh, still value him. He is a Minnesota guy. And, you know, this this reduces his cap hit for the next couple of years. And, you know, we've talked about Minnesota's challenges going forward with the, the dead money that's going to be allocated to uh, Parise and Suter from those buyouts. Uh, they, they currently cost the Avs about uh, 4.7 on the cap. They're going to cost them 12.7 next year. That's $8 million that uh, Minnesota is going to have to shave off. So they shave off two with Victor Rask coming off of their books. Uh, another three here with, with Goligoski. Uh, there's another million dollars coming onto the cap next year. So, you know, you're still two or three million that you have to find. And that's going to result in some decisions. Do they? You know, is, is Marc-Andre Fleury just a pure rental and they go with a cheap backup to Talbot next year? Uh, and what do they do with Fiala? He's making 5.1 this year and he's expiring. And, you know, he's going to want a number that starts with a seven, I would think. So some difficult choices coming for Minnesota in the offseason. But right now, uh, seven wins in a row and uh, they're rolling. So enjoy yeah. it while it's uh, while they have the opportunity. Yeah, you mentioned Fiala. That's the biggest decision, in my opinion. You know, Puckpedia has them Absolutely. at a projected $8.1 million in cap space. If you're saying Fiala wants a number that starts with a seven, 
well, I mean, how are you going to get a goalie if you sign Fiala? How are you going to re-up a guy like Jacob Middleton, who you just acquired and who they're keeping in the lineup over a guy like Goligoski, who they just signed? So I kind of look at it in the Goligoski deal, a little puzzling in that regard. It felt like maybe something you could have just held off with until the summer when you get a clearer idea of what you're doing. Or maybe there is a scenario where Marc-Andre Fleury comes back to the wild on a cheaper deal. And maybe they look at moving out a guy like Talbot for a for a cheaper bargain bin and a backup for Flurry. But a lot of tough decisions will have to happen in Minnesota. In the meantime, though, you said it. Enjoy it. This is a team that beat the Avs earlier in the week. They think they can go on a run. And they're one of the more intriguing teams in the Western Conference. You wrote a great piece over at Daily Faceoff about the idea of trading draft picks and, and the risk that comes with moving them but also the risk that could potentially come with keeping them as well. And you, you I love this analogy as a gambler, the scratch ticket analogy, you know, yeah. you, you'd love to stockpile them. You'd love to get 10 of those little $2 scratchers you get at the gas station. And in the moment you're like, ah, 10 of them, my chances of winning are great, but it doesn't guarantee anything. And outside of the, you know, kind of top 10 to 15 picks in the first round, after that, the numbers really fall off in terms of the quality of player or your chances of getting a quality impact player. And this is a study that was done you know, back in the early 2000s, but the numbers kind of still hold up. Chris, would a team be better off? And this is my big question after reading your article. Would a team be better off with a strategy of being more aggressive when it comes to trading draft picks versus what we see sometimes? And it's teams who really value those third and fourth round picks and want to stockpile them a little bit. But is the aggressive strategy, maybe a better one here? Well, I think it's an open question and that's why I wrote the article. I'm not, I'm not convinced either way, but I wanted to raise that as an option. Um, you know, you saw Tampa Bay get very aggressive with their pursuit of Brandon Hagel and they gave up, you know, two first round picks. Those are probably late round picks, uh, the way that, the way that Tampa plays. Um, so they're not going to be high up in the round where you're more guaranteed to get a, a solid NHL player. And, you know, they, they felt that the certainty of Hagel, who's a 20 goal scorer and only 23 years old and has a great contract with two more years at 1.5, the certainty of, of getting that versus giving up, you know, two, uh, late first round draft picks and a couple of players, roster players who, who maybe will never get to the ceiling of Hagel. You know, I think that's, that's a lesson for other teams that if you can find value, and of course you don't want to, uh, you know, trade picks for guys that are really high cap hits that are going to be far above what you'd get with an entry level player. But the other point I made in the article was that, you know, the, the, there's a narrowing of the middle class now with RFA signing uh, larger deals quicker right out of entry level. So that, that middle class is gone and it leaves a whole bunch of high value players that you can get quite cheaply. So if you can trade a fourth or a fifth or a sixth or, or a combination of picks, to get a guy you know can play on your third or fourth line at under a million bucks, I think you got to start thinking about that in lieu of taking those picks. Now, there's always the risk that you trade a pick and it becomes one of those gems from a late round or even from a you know high or low first or high second. It's a gamble, but you know I liken it to uh, the team that always punts on fourth down because they're afraid of of getting stuffed and the other team kicks that quick field goal to win it. But, you know, the percentages are actually in favor of you going for it on fourth down and, and, uh, and, and making the yardage. So, you know, I, I don't know the answer. It's always, it's always best to stockpile picks and have the assets to work with. And then you can decide, do you, do you take those picks and rely on your scouting department and their acumen or, 
or do you do you try to find certainty in, in players that are known commodities? We're going to chat with Chris Peters in just a second about some college unrestricted free agents. This is something I really want to pick your brain on as a former executive. Yesterday, we ended the show with Mike McKenna and Garbage Time talking about the system. And he called the current system ridiculous and said it creates a pressure point when you have these kids who are in college. They have to sign by a certain date or else the team loses their rights. It leads to the team pressuring them to sign early. Leads to a lot of pressure on the on the on the young players as well when they or if they do reach that college UFA status, because the team signing them all of a sudden has high expectations for them. It just, it creates a lot of, it's a high pressure system. And Mike called it ridiculous. And he certainly comes from more of the player side of things. You from the more executive front office side of things, what do you think of the way this current system is sort of designed? I agree with Mike. I think it's ridiculous. And, you know, I look at it as these players, I think it was well-intentioned the way the league and the players association set up the rules. So if you're a CHL player, you have two years, the team has two years to sign them. Otherwise they go back in the draft with college players playing all four years. They want them to, to keep their education. And you know, there's, you're not going to put them back in the draft because they're going to be 23, 24 years old when they're finished college. But the idea that without playing a single NHL game, you've earned the right to become a UFA when other players need to be either 27 years old or have seven years of, of uh, playing experience, you know, the players just have not earned that right. And to put the teams in the situation where, you know, they're scared to lose the rights of, of players that they've invested in, not only as, you know, using up the draft pick, but, but often investing resources in their scouts or player development people, you know, going to, to watch the kid, talking to the kid about what needs to improve in their game. Like you, you spend resources. So to put at risk for the teams that, that these guys might just walk away at the end of it, it's uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I think it, it should change. Yeah, it's really it, it is really interesting because the idea of that pressure coming into the league, I mentioned it at the end of the show yesterday, but I remember here at Edmonton when Justin Schultz was signed as that unrestricted free agent and he was heralded as the next Paul Coffey by people in Edmonton. And it obviously didn't ultimately work out at Edmonton. Schultz ends up going on to have a great career, but it's interesting the pressure a player then faces coming into the league and that big decision they have to make. You could even look at a guy like Jimmy Vesey, who Mike mentioned yesterday as again, a guy who's heralded as this next great player coming out of college, and then it just doesn't necessarily pan out. And it almost feels like in a way everyone loses when those things don't work out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in Vancouver, we had, we had Patrick Demko, then we had Jack Rathbone, Will Lockwood, and now they've got Aiden McDonough. And apparently Aiden McDonough is going to go back to school for his fourth year. And with the other three players, we're, we were able to, you know, to get them onto the team. And we avoided that, that panic of the, the fourth year. Uh, Will Lockwood actually went to school for his fourth year and did sign with the Canucks. So we, we avoided that uh, consternation, but you know, now Canucks fans and management are, are going through the same thing with McDonough. So I think uh, if, if the rule changed and, and those players, you know, maybe had to sit out an entire other year after they left college, you know, the incentive for them to just, uh, take their pick on teams would be gone and they would, they would go to the teams that drafted them. So I think the NHL and the PA need to look at that and we'll see if it becomes a priority here uh, over the next few years. Let's keep talking a little bit about uh, some college UFAs and more surrounding the draft. It's uh, the next wave with Chris Peters. (laughs) 
Always love welcoming Chris Peters back to the show for the next wave delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. And I want to start with a guy who did leave school early, who did sign with an NHL team, and that's Jake Sanderson in Ottawa. You look at that Senators team, it's a lot of young guys, both on the forward group and a little on the back end as well. Young players get opportunities. Is Sanderson a guy, in your opinion, Chris, who's ready to take that opportunity and become sort of an immediate impact guy at the NHL level? Uh, absolutely. I, I think that he is of, of the college players that are coming out. There are a few that I think are more prepared, uh, to, to play a significant role in the NHL. And I think over time we'll, we'll probably see him ascend to a, a top four role as early as next season, um, with the senators and, you know, Jake Sanderson had a tough luck year this year. He got injured uh, at the very end of the season. So he missed the, the end of the playoffs. He missed the, uh, uh, the, the national tournament. Um, he also had COVID at the start of the Olympics and then he got hurt at the Olympics. And so there was all sorts of different things, but you look at his numbers there, 26 points in 23 games. This was a guy that a lot of people said, I don't know if he has the offensive upside to be worth a top five pick this year. He was without him, you know, especially late in the season, North Dakota really missed the offensive element that he has because he's an elite skater. He is a very good offensive player. He has good puck skills. He has a good shot. He's got great instincts. So he's one of the smartest players that I've watched in the last couple of years. And he's just a terrific defender on top of all of that. So, you know, I, I think that for him, it's going to be all about, you know, just getting recovered from this current injury that he has. He may play games at the end of this season as long as he's healthy enough to. That'll, you know, allow him to burn that year off the contract, which I'm sure was uh, one of the incentives to get him to sign. Um, but, you know, I think this was a guy that was ready to come out last season. He didn't feel he was ready, and I really respect that. He wanted to take another shot at it. Unfortunately, injuries kind of piled up, and he wasn't able to have the season that he had. But to me, of all the players I watched in college hockey this year, and that includes Owen Power and Luke Hughes and Matty Veneers, Jake Sanderson was the best player I saw all season. Wow. So, Chris, uh, in the last couple of days, we've seen a flurry of other signings of college players who are now finished their, uh, their college seasons. Who of those do you think might impress us? Or is there anyone that's under the radar that um, no one's really paying attention to, but is a sneaky good signing? Yeah. So uh, there are a couple of guys that that were, were drafted that did sign that weren't the the first round picks, the the high profile guys. And the first guy that, that I'll talk about is, is Ronnie Adderd, who is a, a defenseman from Western Michigan University. A late blooming prospect. He was drafted in his second year of eligibility when he really torched the USHL. And over the last three seasons at, um, at Western Michigan, Adderd really grew into his role as a number one defenseman. He signed with Philadelphia. I think he has the opportunity to, to be a part of their blue line as early as next season. He's got good size, good offensive skill. Um, you know, and he defends extremely well. He's very mobile. So Ronnie Adder, that's a name that you might not be as familiar with, but he was one of the best defensemen in college hockey. I thought he should have been on the Olympic team this year. Um, I really liked the game, the way that he played, um, and, and thought that he deserved a shot to get on that team, you know, possibly an all American this year. There are so many great defensemen in the NCAA, but he's one of them. And, and he could have, you know, he could have gone back to Western Michigan. And then, you know, like you guys were talking about trigger that scary UFA situation, but instead, he, he signs here and he'll have a chance to, to play a role in Philadelphia in the very near future. Another guy is Jordan Harris. Now, this is a guy who everyone assumed at the beginning of the season was not going to sign with Montreal, was going to go the free agent route. However, the change in regime appears to have completely shifted that. 
Kent Hughes comes in as general manager. Where do his two sons play? Northeastern University. Riley and Jack are both playing for Northeastern. They're very familiar with with uh, uh, you know. So so Kent Hughes has that familiarity um, with Jordan Harris, and he also coached Jordan Harris as a younger guy because Jordan is from the Boston area, and then they you know they they actually worked together prior to that. So he gets that level of comfort. Harris had a four year career, really strong at Northeastern. A guy that moves pucks extremely well. He's very skilled. Um, you know, he's got decent size. He, he can make a lot of plays and he's just a mature player, really good footwork in the D zone, um, really good hockey intelligence as well. So I think that that's going to be a guy who can kind of filter in uh, and help kind of close some of those gaps for Montreal. And I, I really like him. And then I did want to touch on one college free agent who wasn't on my list and really wasn't on my radar to be picked, but he did get signed by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, that's Ty Glover. He's a six foot three forward with really good speed. Um, he, he was a sophomore at, at Western Michigan this year, which is why I didn't think he was going to come out because I thought he was going to play a big role. I think what the Penguins are doing with this particular signing is trying to beat the rush because he was the kind of guy that you say, oh, well, if he goes next year, everybody's going to know about him. He had a really good finish to the end of the season. He's a guy that can play down the lineup. He's only 21 years old. The same thing with Jordan Harris, only 21. So you're getting a guy that still has a lot of runway of development left. I think that's what the Penguins were doing with, with Ty Glover because you know, that's not a guy that you would expect, but for uh, the Pittsburgh has gone heavy on undrafted free agents because they don't have any draft picks. So that's what they had to do. Uh, you got a new article coming out at daily face off right away here. Just uh, some draft talk. I mean, we're still a few months away, but you have players who are trending up, trending down. Give us a sneak peek. Who are some guys that you have trending up in the draft? Yeah, trending up. I mean, r- right now it's it's still Uri Slavkovsky. We're still talking about him, but it's not just because of the Olympics anymore. It's because of what he's done since he returned. He only had four points this season going into the Olympics. He had six in his last 10 games of the regular season. He had 36 shots on goal. 40% of the shots on goal he took this season came in the last month of the season. So, I mean, this is a guy that is on fire right now. He's playing with tremendous confidence. He is looking like a top three pick. Now, when I put my midterm rankings out, he was on the cusp of falling outside of the top 10. There were concerns about hockey sense, about the, you know consistency, all those different things. And he wasn't producing at the legal level. Goes to the Olympics, scores seven goals, comes back, and now he's a dominant player. He already has three points in two playoff games. Um, uh, so, I mean, it's just... It's just been a remarkable turnaround for him. Another guy to keep an eye on is, is a guy who really popped at the, the top prospects game. I talked about him a little bit last week. Jagger Furcus, who has 35 goals a season. He's second in the WHL in among draft first-year draft-eligible players in total points and points per game. Um, he's not a big guy. He's a, close to 5'9", five, 5'10", five, somewhere in that range. Um, but he's got really shifty skills and an elite shot. And he showed that at the top prospects team. So he stood out among the elite players. And the last guy I'll mention is Cutter Gauthier, who is a power forward, a goal scoring forward from the national team development program. He has been unbelievable this year, 31 goals so far this season at the NTDP. Usually the guys that hit that 30 to, you know, the 30 between 30 and 50 goals at that program is pretty impressive because it's very difficult to score there. They play in the USHL, they play college teams, they play internationally. Gauthier has been one of those guys who's gotten better all the way through the season. And that's a team that is going to probably have five or six or maybe even seven first round draft picks on the roster. So it's really difficult to stand out. He's starting to push his name further up the list ahead of some of his teammates right now. And that's definitely a name to know. Cutter Gauthier. 
Perfect. Fantastic stuff as always, Chris. Uh, the next wave delivered by DoorDash. DFODD, DFODD US are those two promo codes. 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order with DoorDash. Chris, as always, love it. And we'll talk again next week with another edition of the next wave. Let's get to our daily face-off inbox question. Hashtag ask DFO. A big matchup tonight in the Pacific Division playoff race as the LA Kings roll into Edmonton to take on the Oilers. And that brings us to our question. Who's the second best team in the Pacific Division? On one hand, you have the 37, 25, and 5 Edmonton Oilers. They are just two points back of the LA Kings, but they have that game in hand. Uh, Chris, what's your take on this one? It's a really interesting question because obviously the teams are, are so close in the standings. I think you have to go with Edmonton here. Um, you know, anytime you have two of the, say, five best players in the world in McDavid and Dreisaitl, I, I think you have to give the edge to a team with, with that kind of firepower. Um, you know, Edmonton obviously has had a, a strange season where they started out on fire. They went through that dreadful period. And then recently they've kind of restored uh, restored faith that they can you know, that they can potentially have a playoff run. Uh, whereas the Kings have been remarkably consistent all year. They haven't fallen victim to those, those wild swings. Uh, and I think the Kings, you know, they're a bit of a younger team, but, but they've been remarkably impressive this year. And, and as a collective, as a sum of the parts, uh, you might say that, that, that they're the second best team. But again, I just have to give the edge to Edmonton because of its, uh, its extra firepower. And, and I think the, the pickup of Kane, uh, you know, midway through the year has has really helped in their um, overall ability to to put up points. So, going to give the edge to Edmonton. Yeah, it's interesting to see the way these two teams have kind of won throughout the season. Edmonton seventh in goals for per game. LA twentieth. Edmonton's twenty second in goals against per game. LA in the top ten at ninth. And it's an interesting question because right now I think I pick Edmonton. And you mentioned how lately they've kind of turned their season around. Under Dave Tippett, they were 27th in the NHL in five-on-five goals against per 60. Under Jay Woodcroft, they're 11th. They've jumped up 16 spots in that span. So I think right now, I would agree. I would take Edmonton. Come playoff time, I think it's a different conversation just because LA seems to have that ability to know how to win tight, low-scoring hockey games. And the other thing, too, if we want to talk about second best in the division, come playoff time, it very well may be the Vegas Golden Knights when they're healthy. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, don't don't sleep on Vegas if they get everyone healthy and uh, they get their LTIR situation, you know, off out of the equation come playoff time and you can bring back Mark Stone. And so, yeah, they they definitely um, aren't to be forgotten. But of the two teams that are uh, juggling for that position right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, L.A.'s defensive game with uh, Kopitar and Dano down the middle and Arvidsson and some of the guys they've added. You know, they're, they're really strong defensively and they do play as a, as a full unit, whereas sometimes Edmonton just relies uh, on those stars to, to dig them out of jams. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because all three of those teams, whoever gets in, will be, uh, will be a tough out in the playoffs. Let's move along. That's one of the many games on the slate tonight. And uh, there's a few others I'm keeping my eye on in our daily bet segment, courtesy of Points Bet Canada. So let's jump right into it, starting with one that is definitely not the sexiest matchup on the slate between the San Jose Sharks and the Arizona Coyotes. But I don't care because I think there is value in taking the over in this hockey game. 
for both these teams. The total has hit at least six goals in four of their last five games. And I love that the total here is set at six and not six and a half. We're even getting a good payout at plus 100 as well. That builds in just that little bit of insurance if you happen to be the team or if you happen to get it at exactly six and save the push. So plus 100 on the over. I think that's pretty good value considering the recent run for both these teams. Arizona allowed, or there was a total of seven goals in their game against Edmonton earlier this week. And for my player prop, I'm digging into that Winnipeg-Buffalo matchup that you see right below. And I'm going with Mark Shifley to pick up an assist at plus 100. I think this one is incredibly undervalued at even money. Shifley just had a four-game assist streak snapped in the last game against the Arizona Coyotes. But he still hit this number in eight of his last 12 games. And he has a total of 12 assists in that span. On top of that, the Sabres gave up five goals to the Blackhawks earlier this week. I don't think they're going to be able to keep pucks out of their net against the Winnipeg Jets. So the matchup is good. The history and the trend suggest that this shouldn't be priced at plus 100. So I'm all over Shifley to pick up an assist and the over in San Jose, Arizona as my two plays tonight. And Chris, that brings us to the finale of the show. Garbage time. What do you got? So when you think about John Tavares and Brad Marchand, what comes to mind immediately? Cereal, right? Of course. Well, it uh, it came out this week that both Brad Marchand and John Tavares are uh, are now on the cover of a new cereal brand. Uh, Tavares is called Recipe Ninety One, and Marchand is called <laughs> March Munch Crunch. Um, just you know, uh, playful and fun, but uh, also a little bit silly. Uh, I think Marchand's is probably uh, a little spicy to match his character. Um, you know, it's these endorsement deals that players do. You can see from the the packaging that there's no team logos. Uh, they're they're not wearing team colors or team hats. It's a individual endorsement deal. These kinds of deals drive teams crazy because often they conflict with uh, deals that teams are trying to do. Uh, but the players have the right to do their own deals so long as they don't use team imagery. And uh, it's amazing some of the deals that the players will do. You know, these ones are kind of fun, but. Uh, a lot of the players will accept pretty small amounts of money to do the the weirdest endorsement deals. So uh, I know I just I, I came upon this and thought it was, it was kind of funny. So that's garbage time. For you me. a breakfast? Are you a breakfast cereal guy? Would you have a preference on one of these? Uh, I'm not really sure what recipe 91 is. At least the other one has a bit of a description. But uh, yeah, I, I love my cereal. I'm a big fan of. Uh, you know, oatmeal crisp is my go-to, but uh, I'd, okay. I'd give these a try. Why not? And I'm sure there's there's a ton of fans in those markets that would buy this just even to have, you know, the box of, of their favorite player as a souvenir. So, you know, s- smart marketing on the part of the players and the companies that did this and uh, good good for a laugh for yeah. me. You mentioned it's playful and fun. It was not playful and fun on the ice last night between those two teams. Uh, Taylor Hall given a $5,000 fine from the Department of Player Safety for his punch on uh, Ilya Labushkin. Uh, let's wrap up the show just quickly. What are your thoughts on that? Did you think Hall deserved a suspension? Uh, you know, initially when I saw it, I, I, I did. And then watching it more closely uh, and seeing that it, it happens, you know, right after he gets hit. And so it's kind of a continuous play. Uh, you know, it is a sucker punch for sure. It is, it is a bit of a, a dirty play, but, uh, you know, obviously it, it didn't result in an injury. And I think, um, you know, the, the fine is probably sufficient. Um, but you know, it's, it's tough to say it looks remarkably similar to, uh, the, the Todd Bertuzzi punch, right. It just obviously didn't have the same consequences and, yeah. 
and wasn't didn't happen in the heat of the moment the same way. But um, you know, so you have to be careful with not suspending something like this because it is it, it could have been much more egregious. But you know, at the end of the day, I think it probably uh, is okay with a fine. What did you think? Yeah. I, I would have given him a game for it. I think, you know, just anytime you kind of have that sucker punch on a guy who's not suspecting it, it's just, I, I don't like seeing that in the game. So just punish it. Give him a game, the $5,000 fine. It's peanuts for a guy who makes the money that Taylor Hall does. Uh, but that's going to be that's a wrap fair. on another edition, uh, another edition of the Daily Face Off show for Chris Gear, our technical producer, Alex Allard. We're signing off. Keep it locked on Daily Face Off in the meantime. And Frank Saravalli will be back tomorrow. Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.